0: Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Hope everyone is doing well navigating through the pandemic. Uh, As I say every week, this is an absolute pleasure and something I look forward to doing on a weekly basis. Today's topic, I'm going to start with, um, for introduce the topic, I'm going to start with a lyric out of a Springsteen song. Um racing in the streets. And the lyric is, she sits on the porch of her daddy's house. All her pretty dreams have been torn. She stares off alone into the night with the eyes of one who hates for just being born. Depression. Another disorder, if you listened to my episode last week, that will take your God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. There are several types of depression. Uh, There's major depressive disorder, and we rated it as either mild, moderate, severe, single episode, recurrent, uh, with or without psychotic features. There's something called, uh, what used to be called dysthymia, which is persistent depressive disorder, and it could have specifiers such as with intermittent major depressive disorder, or major depressive disorder episodes. Um, think of uh, *Winnie the Pooh*. Eeyore—that's that's dysthymia. It's, it's a low-line depression um, similar to the blues. Uh, probably one of the most frequent disorders uh, diagnosed uh, from a neuropsychological perspective, from a psychiatric perspective, treated from a therapeutic perspective, treated from a psychopharmacological perspective. And the initial work on the development of cognitive therapy was on individuals with major depressive disorder. Now, I think we have all experienced at different points of our lives feelings of sadness, feelings of despair, feelings of hopelessness, feelings of I just can't get out of my own way. So to meet the diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder requires somebody to meet five out of nine symptoms. And I've said before 120 different combinations. Five times four times three times two times one is a hundred and twenty. So how depression manifests in one person is very can manifest very differently in another individual. And the MMPI is a great tool in identifying the symptomatology of prototypical depression from a kind of a monolithic construct. The Rorschach and the thematic apperception tests are phenomenal tools at being able to dissect with such specificity how the depressive symptoms manifest idiosyncratic to a specific individual. Now, I've, I brought this up, I think, early on, and I think maybe the introduction about how mental health, mental illness doesn't have a face. It, it's not like you have a cast on and it's easily recognizable. Oh, that person must have injured their arm. Depression is something that can sneak up on you. Depression is something that can be situational. Depression is something that can be lifelong. And depression is something that can be unipolar. By that, I mean major depressive disorder or could be bipolar depression Part of the bipolar disorders, again, we talked about this in the bipolar episode, one pole is mania or hypomania, the other pole is depression. And in the, the bipolar disorders, the depression is much darker. It's a much deeper depression. Um, so why do we become depressed? Um, I think it's an individual reaction to some Perception of how our life is going, uh, a specific event that has transpired, uh, ruminative ideations, uh, social comparison uh, has really been, a, I think, a catalyst for a contributory factor, especially for adolescents, in the manifestation of depression. And I really try to impart on adolescents, like people only post parts of their life that they want you to see. And they're the more glamorous parts of your life. But if you're an adolescent, in this example, struggling with depression and you're seeing that your your friends, uh, their parents just bought them a new car or they're on a vacation to Bermuda, it's, it's very easy to kind of take, you know, look realistically where your life is at right now and then extrapolate that onto where somebody else is and say, oh man, they got it much better than I do. So is there a neurochemical component to it? Absolutely. It's generally medicated through the SSRIs, the SNRIs. Um, the research has consistently shown cognitive behavioral therapy, psychopharmacology are the most is the most beneficial combination. Now, getting to the root of depression, X always causes Y. It's very rare that you're going to wake up one day and all of a sudden be depressed. And there's, I, I have no idea why I have depression. So a therapeutic technique is what's called, I've mentioned this before, vertical descent, where you're taking the abstract or the kind of the more nebulous illustration of uh, how someone is articulating their symptoms, and you're breaking it down. And again, back to perception, two people can experience the same event or situation and have two very different reactions to it. But depression is a viable, viable, realistic, consuming psychiatric condition, and one that should not be... Diminished. It, it's not as simple to say, you know, just, just, just take a deep breath. You know, just, just go, go talk to somebody. Um, why are you depressed? Because people don't understand it because it doesn't have any manifestations, you know, especially you see a lot of parents struggle with kids. Like, well, they don't want to get out of bed. And there's a, I think there's a human component to it of, of frustration. Like, well, just, just get out of bed, do something. It's not that easy when you have clinical depression. The mind is physiologically altered. It's that is not a justification. Um, you know, you lose your right. You, you can complain once. And I, I tell patients this you can complain once, but if I give you possible solutions, And you choose not to act upon them, you lose your right to complain. So, an important component in the treatment of, from a therapeutic perspective, of clinical depression is what's called behavioral activation. Uh, It's been a little difficult with the pandemic and doing telehealth, but now being back, uh, you know, for the last several weeks, uh, seeing people on a, you know, on a live basis. Uh, it's it's a little more productive because you actually have to get in the car. You have to get dressed, take a shower. Well, not everybody does, but the majority of people uh, drive to the office, drive to the appointment. Um, that's an important part of depression because it can become almost ingrained. Uh, I I wish we had because I for a vast majority of of patients, I wish in the diagnostic manual that we actually had a disorder of depressive personality disorder some people are just depressed and that's just how they live their lives and those individuals don't generally complain about it but they just are not happy and you know sometimes people can become functional in their dysfunction and those are the ones that don't want to do anything about it uh suicidality uh is, is definitely one of the diagnostic criteria for a diagnosis of major depressed disorder, but not everybody who is depressed is suicidal, but it's, it's incredibly important to assess for uh, not only does somebody have suicidal ideations, but have they ever attempted it and have they ever contemplated a plan? Uh, depending on the type of plan, some, some are more, um impulsive well I swallowed a bunch of pills and then I went in the bathroom and I threw them up okay uh versus I I took a noose and I started to tie it around a pole in the basement. Um both are equally concerning but both also have different levels of severity to it. My perspective is I always err on the side of caution because I don't have a crystal ball and I cannot predict human behavior. Uh, So if my sense is that somebody – if you can't convince me that you're going to be safe and that you're not going to engage or act upon these ideations, I generally will recommend taking yourself to the ER or what's called a Section 12 where I'm essentially – having the paramedics come and take that person to the hospital so is depression um recognizable not always because we all wear masks we're actors shakespeare said it the world's a stage and we're all actors and people suffer in silence and uh it's not necessarily a diagnostic criteria, but self-medicating is a huge part of how, you know, trying to navigate and manage and maybe mute the symptoms of depression. That could be alcohol use. That could be um, cannabis. Um, could be other drugs, opiates. I, I can't recall any individual, and, and I mean this literally, that said, I like, to drink for the sake of drinking. And I'm not talking about going to a bar and having your favorite martini or favorite cocktail. I'm talking about self-medicating. So when I'm asking about substance abuse, I will always ask, do you do this recreationally for fun, whether it's by yourself or with a group of friends, or do you do this by yourself? to self-medicate. And that's very important diagnostically. And the self-medicating part is much more concerning from my perspective because I'm I'm trying to mute the intensity and severity uh, of one mood state versus another mood state. So, you know, substance abuse is, is not in the depressive disorders. Those are separate diagnostic categories in and of themselves. But does it make sense why somebody wants to get high because they don't want to feel sad? Absolutely. And, you know, I am not the moral guardian. My job is a diagnostician. But it helps in formulating the uh, a clinical, what's called like a case conceptualization of how you can kind of take someone's background and trajectory of clinical symptoms and then put, put it into kind of a narrative and a diagnostic picture. But depression, again, I've said this you know, a few minutes ago is real. It is not something to be taken lightly and telltale signs are decrease in hygiene. Uh, de- you know, poor attendance at work, um, self-medicating, uh, irritability, anger, especially if you're getting, you know, children and adolescents, uh, Freud's theory and I, you know, I, People wonder, like, why do you keep going back to Freud's? And I'm not a Freudian, but Freud's theory was depression was is anger turned inward. And I do think anger should be part of the adult version of depression, the depressive disorders. It's part of the, the child and adolescent version in terms of what's called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Prior to that, everybody was kids were diagnosed with conduct disorder, opposition defiant disorder the new diagnostic manual gives us the opportunity now to be able to place the uh, uh, you know the outward behavioral manifestations of those disorders are very similar i've said this before the etiology is very much the same but i i think we're remiss in not including anger as part of a diagnostic criteria for adult depression irritability um so, there's other things called psychomotor retardation, which is basically, I don't feel like doing anything. I'm moving slow. I'm talking slow. I don't care. Uh, the most concerning symptom in dealing with depression is when someone is hopeless. And when someone is hopeless, that raises the red flag of, I need to make sure that I am attending to everything this person is saying and trying to connect them with as many services, whether that's therapeutic, psychopharmacologic, whatever that may be, because hopelessness is basically when somebody gets to a point of, look, I've tried everything, or they haven't tried everything and don't really want to even entertain the idea. But when someone is hopeless, the concern is I am not willing to try your medication. I'm not willing to try therapy to talk. And you see this sometimes when people, when they've been in therapy for several years, and I think there's some validity to this. So if you go to therapy, you assume that the person behind the desk and the diplomas on their wall have the... uh Educational and practical clinical experience to be able to treat with what you're presenting them with. So, if I've seen therapist A and told my story, and then I go to therapist B and I tell the same story, and I tell therapist C, D, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I can't argue with a person's perspective that, look, why bother? I've told my story so many times that either my therapist couldn't help me, uh, the medications I was getting weren't working. Why do I want to tell my story again to you? Because obviously, you know, I, I there's the perception, and understandably so, that you should be able to help me and I should feel better. Um, would I want to tell my story to you know ten different people? and still feel the way I feel. That is the kind of, I think, the precursor to hopelessness. And I I validate that in people. I I validate their experiences of being passed off from therapist to therapist to therapist, prescriber to prescriber to prescriber, and still feeling the same way. But I would only validate that if the person was able to tell me that they'd done the work. Because the work in therapy does not take place in the office it takes place in between the sessions and i impart that on people and they kind of look at me like huh yeah the therapy your therapeutic session is to give you the tools but you don't live in the therapy the 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 actual office you live in the real world and that's where you you practice The techniques and the homework that you're assigned to do every week. And it's really important when you're treating depression to set realistic expectations. So if someone's not showering, the goal would be take one shower a week, not shower every day, because if the person doesn't shower every day, they're going to perceive that they've either failed, they let their therapist down And why should I try again? So goals need to be proximal, realistic, the SMART model. Goals should be simple, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-oriented. And I can't tell you how many people come with vague, nebulous goals or no goals whatsoever. Depression is, is, is again, it's a very serious disorder, but we have so much data and so many resources and so much information, both from a psychotherapeutic perspective, from a neuropsychological perspective, from... Uh, psychopharmacological perspective, but it, 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 takes work and there has to be a level of respect for the amount of pain somebody is going through. Uh, yeah, are you can get the people who whine. Of course. i you going to get the people who complain. i you going to, you know, have that internal, um, reaction of like, seriously, you're depressed about that. But depression is a subjective experience. And again, it can be consuming. It can be overwhelming. It can be overpowering. And because it doesn't have a sign, it doesn't have an overt manifestation, I think many people are overlooked. Many people are, are judged. Many people are, are, are pigeonholed, uh, especially with kids. You see them labeled as sometimes lazy, oppositional. um you know, no motivation, not caring, uh, angry. And back to my previous episode, that's why I emphasize so much getting a full neuropsych trial, to know, one, if there is depression, I can figure that out. The testing can figure that out. And two, if it is depression, how does it manifest idiosyncratic to them? Because people go on the internet. And again, it gives you just the monolithic, stereotypical construct of what it's of what it'll say depression is i cannot tell you how crucial testing is to delineate what these Mm -hmm. symptoms are in a specific individual because no two people are the same people we are all individuals we have subjective experiences we are part of a collective culture uh the the world how how screwed up this world is right now uh is is it's unfathomable um in the united states we're 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 a self-centered culture we only care about ourselves me 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 um an amazon culture uh, i i've mentioned that before but depression is something that often gets swept under the rug and people suffer and you know i've worked with people who a family member a, a parent a child committed suicide and that's a really hard thing uh as a professional if you've been working with somebody to deal with um because you're automatically going to look to yourself did i miss something Could, should, should i have them come in sooner um so it's really fortunate that I, you know, my wife, being a psychiatric prescriber, and and having a great group of colleagues that were able to kind of communicate because, uh, you know, we're we're human too, and you know, this stuff, um, you know, there's nothing somebody could tell me that I would be like, oh my god, I think. If I was working with somebody on an extended basis and they said they did something that was very uncharacteristic, I'd be like, you did that? That may be surprising. So there's a healthy level of desensitization that uh, people who practice in this field need to get to. But uh, you never stop caring. And that's something I am incredibly mindful of. Uh I know my colleagues are as well. Uh, are people aggravating? Yes, they can be aggravating. Are people whiners? Yes. But you, you know, from be go back to the work of Aaron Beck and, and Albert Ellis. Sometimes people need to, you know, reality check of look, knock it off. And sometimes depending on the depression and how well you know people, you can be a little bit more direct, like enough, you're done. Stop, move on. So if you. If someone you love, if someone you know is depressed, get yourself, get them into therapy. Make sure that you also, make sure that it's also that they meet the diagnostic criteria. You can find the diagnostic, and I say stay off the internet, but go and look up the DSM-5 diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder that is reputable that's not altered that's legitimate educate yourselves as opposed to having me read it i mean I know, I know the diagnostics but to quote the you know um dsm verbatim i have a good memory but not that good so go online and look and a caveat for almost every psychiatric condition is the the symptoms have to cause Social, emotional, and or academic slash work impairment, so you take o c d for example, you know somebody washes their hands a lot, but they 're not late for work their their skin isn 't chafed down to the bone. Uh, but they have to count, they have to wash their hands, you know, umpteen times a day. That's not OCD because they don't meet the diagnostic criteria because it's not impacting their life. So I would definitely encourage you guys, look up the diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder. Um... If you have a child who you suspect may be struggling with depression but shows symptoms of anger and irritability, look up the diagnostic criteria for disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. It's a new di- new diagnosis in the most current version of the diagnostic manual. So uh, early early identification, Early treatment from a psychotherapeutic standpoint, a psychopharmacological standpoint, leads to optimal outcomes. So until next time, take care of yourselves, each other. Hope everyone is well. Uh, Continue to email me with questions. Reach out uh, through Psychology Today. Um, Be well, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Take care.